There are a lot of, a lot of people who have been working to put this together, and we're so thankful for Andrea who had the vision for this, and there have been a lot of folks who have come beside her to help her uh, in this effort. And so you just pray that the Lord will bring those he wants here uh, to our conference and then for Wednesday night in our fellowship. And I know there may be some visiting with us today who are familiar with uh, Institute for Creation Research, and you're here to hear Dr. Thomas, and, and we want to welcome you as well to Grace you know, we come together on Sundays to worship the Lord. That's why we come together. And we don't come to honor man, we come to honor the Lord. And this morning, uh, we want to read some scripture before we begin our time together in song. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Jude. Jude. J-U-D-E. Jude. All right? Um, maybe you have never turned to the letter of Jude. Um, somebody asked me this morning if I was going to read all three chapters. Not enough of you laughed. <laughs> uh, we will read verses one through three of this little postcard, so I'm going to ask you to stand as we uh, do that this morning. Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. And may the Lord bless his word as we think about this passage this morning. Let's have a word of prayer uh, together. Lord, make us contenders for the faith once delivered to the saints. In fact, I've been reading quite a bit in the Gospels this last little bit. Just so thankful for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that um, I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm thankful that that relationship is based on grace. I'm thankful that every day... The fellowship I enjoy with the Lord is based on grace. As we can see just from this little postcard that was written, there was a concern about the faith once handed down. I pray that we would be protectors of the faith, of the truth. We live in a culture today with so many who have uh, really no thought of God, uh, no thought of accountability or judgment. Um, people live as if there will be no accountability or no judgment. We know the Bible declares there will be. And we also know the Bible declares that there is but one way to God, and that's through Christ. And so I pray that we would be men and women and boys and girls who are committed to defending the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we would honor our Lord and our Savior 
uh, every day that you give us breath. So this morning we just pray that you would use your word as Dr. Thomas brings it to us and that we might um, consider how we should respond uh, to what's being said. And I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us this morning as we, as we sing uh, songs of worship and praise and as the word is brought to us. And we want everything, Lord, to glorify you. And so we make our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
hope you're not going to miss the glory. I know Denise and I were just up in the mountains this last week for a few days, and we didn't miss the glory. Man, we praise the Lord for the beauty of his creation. Wonderful, wonderful God and what he's given to us. Uh, the Bible says that all that hath life and breath must praise the Lord. Are you breathing this morning? How many of you are breathing this morning? Okay, we're all going to praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Let's sing about Psalm 150. Uh, let's sing about his great creation. Okay.
praised him right there. I hope you praised him real good. Let's sing the old hymn. I sing the mighty power of God. in scripture that is, uh, is in Job uh, and I ran across it at the end of a, of a museum, Cook's Museum up in Decatur. I tell you, you need to go to it. It is a wonderful natural history museum up there but, uh, but it comes from Job and when you end, when you end the, the tour itself, when you get through doing it, this is what is plastered right in front of you. It says but ask the beasts and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. What a wonderful passage of scripture the Lord has given to us with that one right there. Let's uh, sing together. Indescribable.
me to pray after that but did you hear the words that we just sang indescribable incomparable and he loves us he made this world let's pray together family you're such a good God to us father You've loved us so much, and we've sang about what you've done in creating this world that we live in. And the beauty of it, the wonders of it. And you made it, Father. You said it was, it was all good. Oh, we messed up. If I'd been Adam, I would have messed up. But we messed up. But one day this world is going to be good again. And we're grateful that we can look forward to that. Father, just the phrase of that song that we just sang about how you name all the stars, I can't get my head around that because there's so many billions upon billions of stars out there in the universe, and you know them by name. Wow. We thank you. And we thank you that this God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. As we trust in that finished work, trust that he was raised from the dead and is now at your right hand. We're a part of your family forever. We can't be snatched from your hand, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this time that this body of believers we've set aside to worship and Father, as we come to this next part of worship where we listen to your word, I want to pray for my brother who's going to be sharing. 
and pray that your spirit who indwells us will guide him in the words that he shares and will guide our spiritual eyes, our ears to hear, to listen, and to apply. Thank you for what you're going to be doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. How great it is to be here and a privilege to return. Um, I remember with joy the time I spent with you guys a couple years ago and um, how, much a, <clears throat> how much I thought, well, I messed that up. They'll never me ask me back again, you know. But um, it's a great privilege to be asked to return. And so I, I'm just so happy and, and honored to be here. Um, and to participate in what I think is a really um, important and appropriate emphasis, creation. For our culture has rejected God as creator, and we've replaced him with nature, just like Romans one twenty warned. You know, the invisible things of God have been made known through that which he has made. But what have we done? What do we do? What, does our, what do our sinful hearts do? Well, we want to justify ourselves. We want to pretend like there was no creator so that we don't have to have accountability to him. So we invent this whole history and we construct it and uh, we teach it to others and this whole history that has no God, no creator, and then we end up worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, which is to say worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator. Created things rather than the creator himself, the one who's behind it all. And so what a joy it is to be in this place at this time so that we uh, remind ourselves of uh, this actual creator who really deserves the credit, not the stuff he made. Um, I was reminded of just how different this thinking is from our culture just um, a few days ago. I spent the last two weeks in um, Arizona conducting a tour last week in Grand Canyon, and the guys at ICR, the events guys, gave me a morning off. And I said, thank you, because my voice by that time was shot, and um, it's raggedy right now. And I pray for my vocal cords to, uh, to hang together to, um, today. But um, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do one of my dreams, which is go from the rim to the river to the rim, and I'm going to see if I can do it in nine hours. And I did it in six, so hot diggity dog, whatever. But, but as I'm coming back up uh, from the river, uh, Grand Canyon there, uh, it's only 5,000 feet up. So <clears throat> uh, it felt like, it felt like um, you know, I had run a marathon uh, type of thing. But as I'm coming up, I'm passing this geological feature that, oh, man, I just I take pictures of it every time I can. It's called the Great Unconformity. And it uh, represents to me, it's a place where these, where these um, sandstones, sandstone was deposited right on top of granite. In fact, the grains that make up the sandstone came from the granite. So something mowed this granite, churned it up, turned it into dust particles, and some watery catastrophe blasted across the continent and deposited this sandstone 
And, I'm, and it's called the Great Unconformity because we see this same feature. It's a sandstone usually, uh, but it's a sedimentary rock right on top of igneous rock. I know it's church, but we're going to do a little bit of science today. Igneous rock, crystalline uh, igneous rock. Anyway, uh, and it's found all over the world. Every continent, if you go to the bottom of the rock layers that we're standing on, you're going to get to the base of that, and then below that is granite in a lot of cases, or igneous rock that solidified from melt. And we're, we're convinced that these are the first uh, surges of Noah's flood that did all this geologic work. You know, the great unconformity, I was told in my secular geology classes, um, we don't know how, we don't know why this happened, but it happened all over the world. And I was thinking, Maybe there's a worldwide cause to produce this worldwide effect. And the more I studied geology and the more I studied creation, the more I realized, you know, Noah's flood was worldwide according to the Bible. Well, no wonder we have a worldwide cause or effect because there was a worldwide cause. Anyway, I'm, and I'm taking a picture, but I would like, it would really be helpful if I had someone else to take my picture. And so I just asked a random passerby. Uh, ma'am, would you mind just ta- she was just there, would you mind just taking a picture of me in the Great Unconformity? She stared at me. I was like, have you heard of the Great Unconformity? The what? Okay, no you haven't. No problem. So, I just want a picture. It's just right up here, right off the trail. Would you mind? Oh, that's fine. She took off her backpack and came, <clears throat> came over there and, and, she, and then she took my picture and she said, well, I want a picture of me there too, because it's a great un- it's got to be a great something. <laughs> I'll she said, I'll look it up, you know. So I took her picture also, and, and um, I, I said, when you look it up, um, I'm going to give an explanation for the great unconformity that's quite different than what you'll hear when you look it up. So I, I'm fishing. I cast the lure, see if she'll take the bait. Oh, yeah? What's your, explana- what's your explanation? How will your explanation differ? And I said, I'm going to explain these rock layers from the perspective of Noah's flood. And she said, good luck with that. Bye. I said Noah. She was gone. Noah is a myth to her and her live-in friend that she told me about. And so I went on my way um, hiking along and I thought, that's exactly what the people in Noah's day said to Noah. Good luck with that. Good luck with that boat or whatever, barge. So silly, that Noah. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 25? The flood came. They were living, eating, drinking. Uh, they're just living normal life. And the flood came and swept them all away. Gone. Judgment is coming, guys, again. And it's real. It happened in the past, and it's going to happen again. And these are the, these are the um, kinds of teachings, or I'm going to say historical events that the Scripture gives us, and they give us confidence and direction on how to live today. So as we look at Jude, I, uh, Jude, I, I hope your Bibles are still open to Jude. If, if not, then I request that you reopen them. We're going to look at Jude, and I would like to just actually go ahead and read all three chapters. <laughs> Why not? We're here. So in Jude, um, he's, 
He's staying. Let us just start with verse 3, but we're going to read the whole thing. It's only 25 verses. Um, and then we'll go back over it and look, and, and look at um, six historical events recorded in the Bible that remind us of how important contending for the faith is. That's where we're headed. So he's, he outlines, he mentions six historical events. And he's using these six events to remind us, us who believe, to get back to defending what we believe. He says this in verse 3, Beloved, okay, who's that? That's, that's the believers, people who have already trusted in Christ, repented of sins, trusted in Christ. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, um, I had to switch gears. So I'm going I'm to not read this. I'm going to just like interpret it with the Brian Thomas version. Uh, I found it necessary to write to y'all. <laughs> I'm from Texas. We can do that. Exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So here's my commentary real quick. He says, I was going to describe and help you explore how awesome your salvation is, how it works, who you are now in Christ, all that cool stuff. We were going to progress. I thought you were this far in your spiritual journey. I thought you were growing in Christ and learning and ready for that. But as I'm looking at what's going on, I'm like, uh-oh, we better take a step back and get back to the basics because there are, well, he says why. Look at this, verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the case. And maybe some of you are, the, are this guy in this congregation. I hope not. <laughs> Um, creepers. I'm going to call these guys creepers because they've crept in unnoticed and they've slid into the church and Judah's saying, I've noticed these guys and what they're doing is they're slipping in, pretending like they're Christians so that they can subvert the whole thing. They're slipping in, pretending like they're Christians, but they actually deny Jesus. They say the right words so they can be accepted among the church but then they actually teach things that, um, that pull us away from, from the basic teachings of the Bible. Um, <clears throat> and, and I've become convinced that um, mass media is a great tool. It's a great tool for the devil to use, but it's also a great tool for the Lord to use. I mean, it's just a tool. So good can happen through it, but so can corruption. So can bad. And so, we, I mean, we have this next generation coming up, and, and we just use our cell phones. And what do we access on those cell phones? Teachings about um, Jesus wasn't, he didn't really rise from the dead. You know, they deny the Lord Jesus. In movies that scoff at Christianity, that scoff at creation, we're learning more from just soaking it in from movies and media, we don't need these bad guys necessarily. They're out there, but they're getting infiltrating us through mass media today. 
Anyway, these creepers have crept in unnoticed. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying is when we take our kids to movies or take them to museums, which is fine, and they go to school, need a, you have to do that, but we've got to be with them. We've got to do what he says here. Because they've crept in, verse 5, I want to remind you. We've got to remind each other. Um, we've got to earnestly contend for the faith. I remember a book title, The Last Christian Generation. I mean, I think the Lord's going to preserve his people. I don't think this is the last Christian generation, but it feels like it with as much as our society um, disdains and discounts Christianity and this relationship with the Lord Jesus that we can have. Well, let's go through these. Uh, But I want to remind you, uh, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. What historical... This is the first of our six historical events that remind us of how important it is to contend for the faith. And what is this event? One word, someone, anyone, everyone. Exodus. Exodus. What book of the Bible describes the Exodus? Exodus. Exodus. He's pointing back to the books of Moses, and he's saying, hey, the Pentateuch, these books of Moses, these things happened. They actually happened. God, it's described. And he's saying, you've forgotten about this stuff. Anyway, so here's what happened according to Exodus. He rescues his people, the children of Israel, out of bondage through the bottom of a sea, and as they're going through the seafloor, they look to the left, and there's a wall of water, no plexiglass holding it back. It's just a supernatural, divine, out-of-this-world miracle. Wall of water on the right, and they walk right through. And then Pharaoh's army ignores this supernatural situation and goes, well, we'll just chase him right down. Pharaoh's army, right down. And then God says, perfect. Unblocks the water. The water comes and floods Pharaoh's army. That's what happened. Miracle. Now, are these kinds of miracles in your worldview? If not, then I'd say maybe you've been influenced by the culture's anti-miracle stance. We, we live in a culture of anti-miracles. It's like, uh, we call it secularism. It's, a, it's really a religion of non-miracle religion. Um, I, I think in terms, I, I, I think in terms, we have to think of, of miracles. Actually, a miracle is the best way to explain how all this got here anyways. Uh, think about it like this. The universe so we think about the universe. How did it get here? And um, I'm thinking about um, the secularists' options. Let's say option one, the universe never had a beginning. It's just always been here. That's a possibility. Except that it violates the second law of thermodynamics, which says that all systems tend toward disorder, which means all the stars should have burned out. In fact, if the universe is forever old since stars are losing heat, losing energy, the universe should have, all the stars should have gone away forever ago. But they're still burning. So when we look up at the sky, see the sun, that is telling us this place had a beginning. It's still burning. Okay, it had a beginning. 
Well, then the other secularist option um, is, uh, okay, it had a beginning, and it's had to start from nothing, in a big bang, super popular today. If you go to any museum, it says, big bang is it. There's even TV shows about big bang, and reinforcing this in our culture, and infiltrating and sneaking into the church. So we have lots of Christian, even Christian intellectuals, who say, we have to accommodate the Big Bang because it's scientific. No, it's not. It's, it's not at all. Um, because it says you have to go from nothing to everything. I mean, how, how do you go from nothing to everything if the first law of thermodynamics says that matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed? We can convert matter into energy in like an atomic bomb explosion. Um, a little bit of matter holds a whole lot of energy. And we can even convert energy into matter with these colliders. You can interconvert, but you can't... It's not like energy and matter pops into existence out of nowhere. It never happens anywhere. Uh, and so to, to have a universe that comes from nothing naturally violates the first law. But to have a universe that lasts forever violates the second law. <laughs> The only option left is a miracle. You have to have something, someone outside the universe who brought this universe into existence. That's the God of the Bible. And it makes the most sense of the real world we live in. Miracles, guys. Miracles should be on the table. And Jude is saying, we need to remind ourselves of this. God can do anything. If he can put the stars in the sky, if he can rescue a people that don't have an army from a giant uh, uh, country that does have a huge army... uh, by doing miracles, making walls of water, if he can do that, he can do anything. He can even save me from my sins. The next one, number six, verse six, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Lots of debate about this, and I have a particular view on it. I'm going to share it with you. It's the first time I've ever shared it with an audience. But it's, it's not a tier one issue, so if you have a different view on this, I'm happy with that. It's not even a tier two issue. Are you with me on the tiers? This might be a tier 25 issue. <laughs> I, I ain't going to fight you on it. Um, but uh, in my view, I think one of the better ways to explain this is to, is to think about the, the um, angels that saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and married them. Okay? So these are sons of God in Genesis chapter 6. And so, um, strange as that sounds, uh, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, what did he do? He chained them up. Um, They're in the penalty box. Have you seen hockey? The stick is made to move the puck not to smash someone's teeth, okay? So if you use the stick out of its domain of, using the, of sliding a puck around, and, you, out of its, and now you're using it to smash people's teeth in, tweet, penalty. You're in the penalty box. But this penalty box is to the end of the game instead of just a two-minute penalty. And um, Now, what, if, if that's what he's talking about, it's Numbers 13, and then it's Genesis chapter what? Genesis chapter 6 talks about this event. Um, Now, here's my point. Jude just went from Exodus to Numbers and to Genesis. Did Jude treat Genesis history 
as not history, did you treat Genesis different than he treated Exodus or Numbers? No, he's treating it the same. And I can't tell you how many Christians, intellectual Christians, who look at the Bible and they say, and they're teaching the church from the top. Let me just tell you this. I went to the um, Evangelical Theological Society meeting. These are the top guys. These are the guys who write the textbooks that the professors use at seminaries to teach our pastors. And they're debating these things. And they had a panel discussion. This is, um, this is just in November in, D- in uh, Denver. And they had a panel discussion over Adam. Adam. Was Adam a real? Was he a real dude? Well, the four evangelical um, scholars who were on the stage represented four different views. Each guy defended his view of how we can accommodate um, uh, our, our, the fact that we evolved from apes. And none of the four views defended the position that Adam was a real person. How disappointing. Now, lots of great things at the ETS meeting, lots of great exegesis and Bible study and fantastic things. This was not one of the fantastic things in my perspective. Because, because here they're, they're saying, well, we can't have Genesis 1 through 11 convey actual history. So one guy said, I think Genesis 1 through 11 is exalted narrative. Exalted narrative. And by that he means it doesn't convey history. It never intended to convey history. Oh, good grief. What kind of God are we serving here? He can no longer make the universe. He can no longer speak the truth to us through his word and tell us the truth about where we've come from. He's not able. Why is he telling us using history words like past tense, like he did this and he did that. Plainly, he's telling us plainly that he made the stars. He spoke them into existence by the power of his word. Wow. Psalm 33, he spoke and they stood firm in instant obedience. And then we have as, you know, from the top down, and, 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 and then in our seminaries, we're reading these, um, these uh, commentaries on Genesis. And it's, well, you can't really trust the early parts of Genesis because scientists have proven that this stuff can't happen. And we are, we are, we're letting the philosophy of this age, the anti-miracle garbage that masquerades as science, but it really is not. We're letting that dictate and tell us what to believe and what not to believe in our Bibles. Okay, you see where I'm getting excited about this? <laughs> and so, man, I couldn't even stay for the whole for the whole panel. I was like, where's, why can't we even have one of the four guys defend the position that there really was an Adam? Because that's what the text says, not only in Genesis, but in Chronicles, in Luke, giving the genealogy of our Lord Jesus, and Adam, the son of God, it says in Luke 3, as though he's a real dude. I think he was a real dude. Okay. He's treating Genesis as real history. And I say, so should we. So my question is, are you in on that? Are you in on that idea that miracles are on the table? Are you going to contend for the idea that a miracle is how we got here? Are you going to contend for the faith, for the idea that our Bible is inspired 
A to Z, front to back, God's word all throughout, not just parts. Backpacking some years ago, um, got into a conversation on the trail with a gal, and no, it was a guy. And, uh, and um, you know, just trying to have a conversation, lead it towards spiritual things. And what do you believe about the Bible? Oh, I believe the Bible. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> so what do you think about creation? Well, you know, science has disproved that. I was like, oh, so you don't believe that part of the Bible. Which parts of the Bible do you believe? And he stopped, and I almost ran into his backpack. And he turned around and he said, I'm a New Testament Christian. So then I was like, oh boy. So then I said, can you name for me any New Testament doctrine that does not have its foundation in the book of Genesis? Because I know that he can't. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you're wearing clothes, which is great. Where'd that come from? Genesis. God clothed them with animal skins in the first sacrifice. Um, I'm thinking, he's married. Where did marriage come from? Genesis. I'm thinking, he's a sinner. Where do we learn about the origin of sin? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the origin of sin. Dying you will die, so don't eat of it, God said and warned Adam. Chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, ah, but it looks so shiny. (laughs) And you know, I don't think he's got my best interests at heart. So I'm going to go ahead and take it. And the man who was with her took it and ate also. Boom. So, Adam, where are you? He's calling out for Adam. Well, uh, the woman who you gave me. So now he's shifting the blame. And then the lady, well, the serpent, he did. It's his fault. And so now we're lying to cover our sin. And oh, it's just been ugly since then. What are we going to do about this? Is it just going to be ugly forever? Mm. Genesis chapter 3. There's hope. There's hope. Because he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, um, This promised Savior is going to come, crush the head of the serpent. Uh, Genesis 3.15. And you look at um, back in Genesis. What about grace? What about the doctrine of grace? That we are saved by... What, are we saved by our own works? We can be good enough to, can we do that? Not at all. You can never be good enough. In fact, if you just make one mistake, you can't go back in time and erase it. So you're toast. And I make mistakes every second. (laughs) I need outside help. I need grace. Genesis chapter 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's always been grace. What about, what about faith? Genesis 15. I know we're outside of chapter 11, but it's historical narrative all the way through. Genesis 15, uh, verse 6. Um, and Abraham believed God, and he credited that to him as righteousness. He didn't earn his own righteousness. God gave him enough righteousness by grace. Anyway, all these doctrines. So he, I said... Can you name a single doctrine? And then he goes, what's a doctrine? <laughs> Is it like baptism? I was like, no, that's different. Oh, boy. So I encouraged him, uh, and, and I was reminding him, 
And I want to remind you this morning, just like it says in verse 5, this is my role, this is my function right now, but I want to remind you. That's what Jude said to them, and that's what I want to say to you. I want to remind you of these Old Testament events that highlight the importance of the fight that we're in. And I want to say, are you on the sidelines or are you in, in the game? What's that going to look like for you? Are you going to defend the idea of miracles? Are you going to defend the idea of Genesis as being history? Do you have questions about it? Do you need to get some answers before you can jump in the game? That's why we're here at the Institute for Creation Research. That's why we do the research that we do. Um, where are we? What verse are we in? How about, how about seven? As Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, this is, this is uh, number three. Example the third. Historical event from the Old Testament. Number three, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. In a similar manner to these, having given, them, given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Whoa, this is a big deal. This is a big fight. This faith for which we're contending has eternal consequences. And so now we live in a time, which I'm sure many of you, including me, would never have foreseen, where not only is it okay to have homosexual relationships, but it's actually defended. Like our laws defend this, which was once considered wrong in our society, it's now defended in our society. And kids are being told, you can uh, choose your own gender. In fact, you should choose your own gender. It's all up to you. Um, Have you been to a maternity ward and seen the babies? Um, They come out with a gender already. Every time I go, and I have five kids, so been a few times. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, here's the thing. Now we're in the society, guys. You're going to be, you're going to be told uh, by the laws of the land. Uh, these homosexuals. They want they want you to serve them. If you're not going to serve them, we're going to put you out of business. What are you going to do? Uh, they're going to come into our churches. And they're going to say, I mean, maybe it could happen. Unless you preach that homosexuality is perfectly fine and part of Christianity, um, then we're going to shut the doors. What are you going to do? Are you in? Are you in on defending the faith and standing for what's right? Um, And suffering the consequences. Here's the thing. Imagine you're in Sodom. Everybody has given themselves over to sexual immorality. It's just gross is now the new norm. And you're there. So what do you do? Now, if you're cool and on the in crowd, you're also going to give yourself over to sexual immorality. That's what everyone else around you is doing. But who didn't? Who was the only one who didn't? Lot. And will you stand with Lot for the truth? He wasn't perfect by any means, but it's getting to the point in our, in our day, in our culture, where this is a big deal, and we need to, I, I, feel like we, I feel like Jude's message is for us. Like, 
I'd like to talk to you about how awesome your salvation is, but we need to backtrack. We need to get back to the basics, which is why I love the fact that we're having this creation conference and, and reminding ourselves miracles are on the table. Let's defend that. Genesis is history. Let's defend that. What's right is right because God spoke it. Let's defend that. Let's get on board with this. How does this look to me? How does it look to you in your life? What can you do? Sometimes you can you know, be involved in lawmaking. Sometimes you're, you are. Sometimes we aren't. Um, but each, each step of the way, I think my, my lesson from this is don't do it just because it's cool. Are you willing to give up friends for Christ? In other words, are you willing... You, is the fear of the Lord your motivator? or the fear of how you'll be perceived by your peers? Are you willing to say, you know what, even though people ain't going to like me anymore, I'm going to stand with Jesus, because in the end, I have to stand before him anyways. He's the, the real audience that we should have in mind. I think that's what Jude is telling us. Uh, verse 8, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, uh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. What, who are these dreamers? Guys, these are the creepers. The, the men who have crept in um, unawares, okay? Back to them. And then, and then verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these creepers speak evil of whatever they do not know. Boy, do we see this online, too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they speak evil. I mean, we post these things. ICR has um, podcasts now. And we have, we've, we've produced, I think, 50 podcasts, 40 podcasts since I've been here two years ago. Because we, we, we got a new department that has videos. We have video guy now that we hired and everything. And you, you know, we post a video, and we say things like what I'm saying now. Like, hey, look at this rock layer that supports the flood, or these stars that support the idea that they were created. And, and then... What's, what do the comments look like? I mean, we have to block all comments on some of these because they revile things they don't even understand. Like, this is scientific. How do you get a star in a natural setting? You know, the, natural, the naturalistic philosophy demands that stars form just by gravity, no God, just gravity. So gravity is the new God, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. But even in their model... You can't have gravity overcome the repulsive forces. Gravity is an attractive force pulling particles together, but it's not strong enough to pull them together because they're rattling and bouncing against one another and they're repelling one another. So how do you overcome that? Well, simple. You have an, a star over here next to it that explodes, goes supernova, and the shock wave crushes these nearby particles together to where now a, a new star will ignite. Problem number one. Has anyone ever seen that? No? Problem number two, you just had a star over here. How did that start? You have to have a star to make a star. Well, where did the first star come from? Miracles need to be back on the table. So we say these kinds of things, and we get scoffed at. Oh, man, these online commenters reviling. Are you going to be intimidated by the reviling? Well, Jude says, no. Go back to your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Study your Bibles. Learn the truth from God, not from um, 
from these who have crept into the church or creeping into the church and undermining our faith. Instead, let's stand for it. Let's get in the game. Woe to them, verse 11, for they have gone in the way of Cain. This is number four, the way of Cain. Oh, what book of the Bible and chapter describes Cain? Genesis chapter 4. That's again within 1 through 11. And Jude is treating it like it's history. Well, what did Cain do? Uh, He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to be good enough. He didn't want God's grace. He he made an offering of his own labor uh, with offering fruits and vegetables instead of an animal blood sacrifice. So he never admitted his own sin. And um, that's that's creeping into the church where we have, we have some of us who want to do it our own. Guys, you can't do it on your own. You need outside help. Just admit it. Say, Lord, I can't do it. Please save me. Well, that's, that's Cain. Um, just real quick. Um, there's a verse, verse 4 in chapter, sorry, verse 7 in chapter 4 of Genesis. Um, you can look it up later, but it's where, it's where the Lord says, um, sin lies at your doorstep. But the word there is actually a sin offering. A sin offering lies at your doorstep. And uh, with that new translation, um, I get the picture that the Lord is standing there knocking on Cain's door, seeking out this sinner, this lost rebel. And he's got a sin sacrifice that he's already done. He's made, he's made a sacrifice. It's ready. It's, it's, it's provided for Cain. All Cain has to do is accept the provision and he'll be reconciled to God. And he refuses. But that means we've got death. We've got death happening right here. It's a big deal, death. It's like a, signif- a sign that, that um, uh, there's a high price to pay for our sins. And certainly it's a signal that the ultimate price was paid by the Lord Jesus, who gave his life for our sins. But this puts, this puts the gospel in its place, where it should be in our minds. Um, however, I was raised thinking that death came millions of years before Adam and Eve and sin, because the fossils, what are they? Dead things. And so I used to think these fossil dead things were deposited in these eons before Adam and Eve and the garden and all that, but that put death before sin, and it removed death as being a consequence of sin. Wow. So now I've studied these rock layers and how vast they are. They go for hundreds of square miles, and they're full of dead things that were buried in water, and they're all over the world. So now I'm thinking... This is what we'd expect to see if Noah's flood really happened. And that puts these dead things after sin, 1,656 years after sin, according to the Genesis 5 genealogies. So Cain's sacrifice there that the Lord was trying to pursue him and trying to provide for him reminds me of of the foundation for the gospel. We're contending for the faith. Are you in? Are you all about the gospel? looking for opportunities to share. And to share what? That you can't do it, Cain. You can't do it, sinner. You can't do it, rebel. But if you just repent of your attempts to try to keep God at bay and try to do it all yourself and let him lift you up, he will provide everything you need.
That's, that's the message. And we should contend for that message. We should be... Um, Uh, we, we should contend earnestly for the faith. That's all I'm asking us to do. It's, it's like, well, let's do the next one. Uh, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and have run uh, greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Are you contending for your own salvation? Are you contending for your own profit? What is it that drives you? What's your motivation in life? Is it, you wake up in the morning, first thought, how am I going to make money today? Warning, if that's your first thought, you're going in the way of Balaam. And if you don't even know who Balaam is, then (laughs) our application today is plain. Read your Bibles. Yeah, study what God's Word has to say. The more, you know, the, the cool thing about that is, the more I study the Word, the more I love studying the Word. The more connections I find in Scripture, uh, it's just the more I want to find more connections in Scripture that link uh, one uh, doctrine to another, one aspect to another, one, um, one more glory of the Lord Jesus that I hadn't known before. These are all revealed in this precious book. I, was, um, I had to Uber to the airport yesterday, um, and my Uber driver started talking about his Catholicism. So I started asking him question after question. And why do you believe this? And why do you believe that? And um, after 20, 30 minutes, he finally asked me, you know, and I'm waiting for this. I'm like, I'm going to keep asking you questions until you ask me something. Then I'll know that you want to learn from me. And he said, do you believe in judgment, that the, that the judgment day is coming? And this is a serious conversation, you know, with, a, um, with an Uber driver. And, and I said, yes, I do. And I believe that the Lord Jesus provides the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. But you can come to the Father, not by working for yourself, not by trying to earn it your own way, um, and, but by believing, by believing what he said. What does he say? That you're a sinner in need of salvation, and that living life is not about this world. It's about the next world. And he said, man, now he's, he was ordained he got a theology degree through the Catholic system, and he, and he said, yeah, the Bible's all man-made. It's all man-made. I said, how could it be man-made, conceived by human minds, if it has the fulfilled prophecy? How do you explain the fulfilled prophecy? I got him thinking. And what a privilege it was to have this spiritual conversation that lasted 30 minutes, and he's like, man, thank you so much for sharing that with me and challenging me. And I said, thank you for sharing about your life. But now he's got, a, now he's got, this, um, uh, he's got this opportunity to look at the Bible in a different way. Okay? Who in your life do you have that you can do the same thing, where you can, you can have these spiritual conversations? Are you in the game? Is the gospel number one and defending it, defending the faith? defending, uh, is that the right word? Uh, contending, contending. The word contending there, it's, um, it's like striving uh, with all your might and all your strength. Well, have we done them all? There may be one more. Verse uh, 12, these are spots. Who are these? 
Everybody say the creepers. Okay, thank you five people. You represent everybody. <laughs> These creepers are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear because you're not discerning that they're doing this creeping, creep, creepy stuff. Uh, they actually are serving only themselves. They're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wow. This is real, guys. There will be black darkness for these creepers, and it will last forever. Th this is serious. Now Enoch. Oh, here's Enoch. What book of the Bible are we back to now? Somebody say it. Genesis. Anyone know the chapter? It's the one that comes after chapter 4. <laughs> and he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, as though Adam's a real person. Come on, evangelical theologians. Read your Bibles. Uh, prophesied about these men also. And now he's giving us what Enoch said way back then, before the flood, before God took him. He just was no more. Um, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Judgment's coming. So when the, when the Uber driver asked me, what do you believe about Judgment Day? I was like, it's all throughout the Bible. You've got to get ready. Um, mythology is our is our doctrine based on mythology I mean if Genesis 1 to 11 is myth or what some call mytho history which is just a fancy way of saying it's not real then what are we doing here why are we living for Jesus if he didn't have enough power and love to write down exactly the truth about where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. I'm saying he did write it down exactly, and I'm saying there's no good reason from the world of science to doubt anything he says in his book. I mean, you've got a universe from nothing, except the universe did come from someone. So, so we have a beginner who's outside the universe. We have creation. Miracles are on the table, guys. And Exodus is another miracle. A lot of these are judgments are miracles. The divine judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Bam. He's saying, he's saying here about Enoch, seventh from Adam, he prophesied about these men who are creeping into the church right now, saying that the Lord comes with Ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. So he's saying, just as God judged in the past, and by the way, the Exodus reference, the Israelites were saved through the Red Sea, and then they went over to conquer the land, and God said, I'm going to give you this land if you'll just go take it. And they disbelieved God's words because they got scared of the giants. And so God said what? There in, in uh, Exodus. Uh, 
he, he said, you're not going to go in the land. You can't go anymore. And so they perished in the wilderness as they wandered for 40 years, waiting for the next generation. Maybe they would grow up and believe in the Lord. And they did, and they conquered the land under Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus. He's our leader. Jesus is our Lord. Um, and we want to get back to him. We want to get back to living for him in every area and in every way. So we have these judgments on those unbelieving Israelites, on those angels, and on Sodom. They show God protecting his own. God's in this business of contending earnestly for our souls. And all I'm asking is, are you going to join with him? Or or are we going to earn a paycheck? Nothing wrong with paychecks or work. But what is it that God is calling you to do? What is he calling you to just simply read your Bible more? Get in the game. Contend earnestly for this faith. It's falling apart because we're doing a crummy job as Christian parents at getting our next generation ready to go. Bring them to conferences like this. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's get in some of these resources to get your questions answered. Uh, I brought one with me. Creation Basics and Beyond, just as an example. So I... I I edited this book. Uh, it's co-authored by our PhDs and other people uh, at the Institute. And it answers all kinds of questions about origins. Like, I would, be, I would get in the game if I had answers to my questions about, I don't know, dinosaurs or carbon dating or what about the Ice Age? I mean, how does that fit in? If I understood the answers, then I'd get in the game. This is for you if that's your case. We have the answers. Uh, uh, I mean, not all the answers. We are the Institute for answers research, right? No, Institute for Creation Research. So it's, it's, we have some answers and we're working on the rest and that's what we do. Um, but we have enough to be able to uh, equip you. And maybe that's, maybe that's what will get you back in the game. You know what? I need to get equipped. I need to get, uh, I need to get some education on, on what is it out there? What sciences? What about archaeology? Speaking of archaeology and Balaam, did I mention Balaam? Yeah. So the scoffers were like, the scoffers, would, I think these creepers would be, you know, same as the scoffers. Cre- scoffing at Christianity, creeping in to infiltrate the churches and make sure people don't really believe those Bibles, those dumb Bibles. Uh, so, so they said there was no such, there's no archaeological evidence of Balaam, therefore he didn't exist until 1967 when the Balaam inscription was discovered. And now it's on display in Jordan. And it says, Balaam, son of Beor just like the Bible says. Learn the archaeology. Maybe that's what you need. Like, I need to see archaeological evidence. I need to see answers from somewhere so that you will then have the foundation that gives you confidence to live for Jesus, to preach the gospel, to be his man, to be his woman, to be all in, all in, not just with... Maybe you're on the fence, Uh, you know? In fact, he he has fence sitters right here at the end. Um, verse 21, I know I'm leapfrogging, uh, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, stay on God's good side. By what? How can you do that? Study his word, do what he says, commit your life to him, that kind of stuff. Trusting in him, not in yourself, that's the main thing. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's talking about looking for his, the day that he's going to rescue us. 
someday soon. And then he says, and on some have compassion, verse 22, because they're making a distinction. They're waffling. They're making unnecessary distinctions. So, so don't treat them with judgment, but have compassion. Be gentle. That's what he's saying. And so I say to you this morning, are you on the fence? Are you waffling about stuff? Get the answers so you can get in the game. And then on others with fear, pulling them out of the fire. This is sharing the gospel because the fire is coming. The fire is coming. The judgment is coming. We've got to get ready. And this needs to be our priority, is getting in the business of what the Lord's wanting us to do. So wherever you are, maybe you're already in the game 100%. Just tell the Lord again this morning, Lord, I am yours again. I'm yours again right now. Maybe you're on the fence and you're like, Lord, maybe you need to say, Lord, um, I'm on the fence. I've got questions. Will you help me answer them? Tell him that. This preacher, scientist, weirdo guy from Dallas, he's saying that I need to, uh, I need to do something else. I need to commit my life to you 100% and get in the game and start defending the faith instead of just dabbling with it. Lord, what's my next step? Ask him. Guess what he'll do? He'll answer you. Because he, he's telling you to get in the game right here. Of course he's going to tell you how to do it. So just ask him. And maybe you're on the fence. And, but then maybe you're here and you're, and you're one of these headed for destruction like I was. Like my Uber driver was. And I said, man, Uber driver, uh, Seleshi is his name. Pray for Seleshi. He's from um, Ethiopia. I, I said, I was headed for destruction. The Lord shared the gospel with me. I agreed with him. I knew I was a sinner. And I couldn't go back in time and erase my sins. I can't save myself. I need outside help. And so I cried out to the Lord, and he saved me. And my life has been different ever since. And now I have a passion in life. It's to live for him. Now I have a direction in life. It's to share this good news with others and to defend that good news. So maybe you need to hear that good news again and say, you know, I've been living for myself. I've been trying to make my own way like Cain. I've been living for money like Balaam, and it's not satisfying, it's not right, and it's, it's like I'm just thinking about right here and I need to think about eternity. That's, that's, that's a great step to take. If you want to take that step with the Lord Jesus by repenting of sins, trusting in Christ, that's, that's an application we can, we can do today. And if you want to do that, talk to Pastor Thad or me. And we'd be happy to lead you and answer questions so that you could enter this new relationship. And then you'll get in the game too. And you'll be a defender of the faith um, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Amen. Dr. Thomas, and thank you, Van, for pointing out that I needed to pick this up. All right. That word contend there is a, it's a couple of pictures there with that word. It could be a, referred to as a boxing term or a wrestling term, and it means you're in the game. You're, you're, you're not outside the ring. You're in the game. And so if you're a believer in Christ, you're in the ring. And you know what the great part is? This is our weapon, and uh, we use the Word of God. And uh, it is personal. But we come to people uh, with the love of the Lord. This is God loved you so much. And so 
thank you, Dr. Thomas, for this morning, and we appreciate you being with us, and hope you guys plan on coming back tomorrow uh, evening at 6.30, and uh, we have two sessions tomorrow night, and uh, hopefully uh, I can't see any reason you'd want to stay home, all right? You can eat at 5 o'clock and be here by 6.30, all right? Why don't we stand? Let's close in a word of prayer. For those of us in here this morning who belong to you, Lord, we want to say thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the hope that we have of one day seeing you face to face in all your glory, something unimaginable, a miracle that we get to see you face to face. And it's all because of your love and sacrifice for us. So we just pray we would be good ambassadors. Speak for you when you give us opportunity. Uh, bring us back tomorrow night, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I encourage you to visit the table. Dr. Thomas will be out there if you have questions.